so good to be with everybody this morning. Uh, Happy Memorial Day. Happy unofficial uh, weekend, right? Happy unofficial start to summer. Uh, Starting to feel like it out there, finally. And uh, it's just good to be together here this morning and uh, worship together. Uh, What a beautiful time of worship. Thank you to our worship team and uh, their time here this morning, kind of leading us into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to look at the idea, or we're going to unpack the idea of Jesus being our friend. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your reckless love. Sometimes we can think of that as being chaotic, but Lord, I, I don't think that's what that really meant. Just sort of means that you'll do whatever it took to be one with us. Sending your son the ultimate sacrifice to die for us. It wasn't indiscriminate by any stretch. It was planned. It was thought out. And it was even necessary. So today, Father, as we consider the selfless act of your Son, Jesus, we pray by the power of your Spirit that we would have a deeper sense of what that means to us. And especially today as we reflect on your words where you say you called us your friends. Open our eyes and our hearts to hear, to see, to understand something maybe new today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read for you from John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15 this morning. You can follow along in whatever way you'd like. It'll be on the screen in front of you. It says, greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It is a verse that is commonly found on monuments and statues and things like that that are in honor of those who have fallen, particularly in service to our country. It is a familiar verse in those contexts. You can go around the country and find this verse etched. And it reminds us of the significant sacrifice that has been made And especially this particular weekend when we think of this holiday, Memorial Day, and how people have sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Tomorrow we will honor many of our military veterans, those who have sacrificed their life. And it's a a time to celebrate in some ways, celebrate freedom, but it's also a somber time. It's a noble time, right? It's a, a worthwhile time. And 
for me this morning as I reflected on this verse in this context, it got me to thinking, you know, I, I would love for you to know that there is room in our theology for a love of country. And sometimes I think we have a little bit of a give and take with that. What does that really look like? But there is a place for a love of country. And if you want to dig into this, I'll point you to an article uh, that uh, I think outlines several ways that this is compatible. And the author's name is Kevin DeYoung. The title of the article is Memorial Day is a Big Deal, so let's think about it theologically. And I think he does a very, very good job of laying out how this is compatible. But in that article, and I'll quote him, he says this, In making us for himself, God didn't mean to eradicate all other loves. Instead, he wants those loves to be purer and in right proportion to our ultimate love. Because as he goes on to point out in that article, patriotism, love of country, just like a love of family or a love of a sports team or a love of anything in your life, it can become an idol. And so the article would go on to kind of point out that we are to love things on earth in right proportion to our ultimate love, and that is Jesus Christ. I think in our country, we, for many, patriotism has become a bit of an idol. It's become mixed with an obsession that somehow God loves America or is using America to become the savior of the world. There is only one Savior. Amen? And His name is Jesus Christ. And when our patriotism stirs to the point of superseding our love of Christ, or somehow does not remain in submission to our status as citizens of the kingdom of God, we have gone too far. And we as Christians must pull back and repent. God does not mention America in the Bible. Not once. That does not mean that America needs to be denigrated any more than it needs to be lifted up. As Jesus once said in the Bible, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. Jesus allowed that there is room to honor earthly authority. But in that context, it also meant that the kingdom of God is our highest priority. Our status as free citizens of America can and should be celebrated, especially in light of the sacrifices made for our freedom. To the extent that we don't all feel that same level of freedom and opportunity, we also lament and we fight for justice. Because that's part of our story too. But my point is, at the end of time, God will assemble all nations, tribes, and tongues, all at the throne, and we will all give allegiance to one true king. Can I get an amen for that? His name is Jesus Christ. We won't cease, however, to be Americans, or Americans of African descent, or Burundians, or Congolese, or Latino. We will carry that part of us with us into eternity. That's a beautiful thing. But we will all be one. One in Christ Jesus, not divided by our differences, but united by our common love of Jesus Christ. That deserves another amen. 
So the honor, so I want you tomorrow to honor the sacrifice of our fallen military heroes. I have many in my family, not so much who have fallen in battle, but who have served our country. And it stirs me that they would sacrifice themselves for that service. And I know there are some here who have served in the military. We honor that today. But in fact, we, I would encourage us to honor that tomorrow, right? Because today we don't honor America, we honor Christ, the living King, and His kingdom come here to earth. Amen? Let's go back to John 15, 15, and it says this, I have called you friends. Think on those words for just a couple of minutes. Ponder for a minute what it means to be a friend of Jesus. Maybe to do that, you need to ponder what it means to have a friend. A best friend, maybe. Maybe it's just a close friend. A friend that you know is there on the other side of a text. A friend that you know is there on the other side of an email or a phone call or somebody that you friended on Instagram or Facebook. Think about your friendships and your relationships. Someone that you turn to for comfort or maybe just to be silent with. Ponder that for a minute. What does friendship look like? Whatever that looks like for you, I want you to try to think about that friend as being Jesus. Thomas Akempis writes in The Imitation of Christ, When Jesus is near, all is well, and nothing seems difficult. When he is absent, all is hard. When Jesus does not speak within, all other comfort is empty. But if he says only a word, it brings great consolation. Can you relate to that? Maybe this morning you don't know that Jesus of which I'm speaking this morning. But I hope that by the end of this, you might be introduced to him. But if you do know him, and if indeed you have felt the pain of that silence or the emptiness of a search that yields little connection, you can relate this idea. Because nowadays, aren't we, we're conditioned, right, mostly through instant messaging and social media to near instantaneous feedback. And some, in fact, some of us get really offended if we don't get a response just like that. How many of you are like that, right? Nobody? Oh, I guess it's just me. All right, I get offended. If, you don't, if I text you, I want something right back, all right? That's kind of how it works. That's what it's supposed to do. So just so you know. All right. All right, help, helping you out there. That's good, right? We offer our perspectives, right, through social media, on Facebook. We share our opinions. We respond to others, sometimes within seconds and sometimes within minutes or hours, sometimes days. All right, we'll give you that. 
So when God doesn't answer our prayers, we're often pretty alarmed, aren't we? I mean, doesn't God have access to an instant messaging platform? True? Like, where is he? How many of you have seen this show? Anybody ever watched it? God friended me? Yeah, it's an interesting show, right? It's a, it's a show about an atheist who gets a text message from a person on the other end known as God. And that text message starts directing this person to interact with different people, to help out in different situations, to get to know them, to help them to say maybe an encouraging word or to offer some kind of support in some kind of a way. It's this open line between him and God. Wouldn't that be cool? God friended me. God texted me. God telling me what to do every step of the... Isn't that what we all kind of wish? How many would like that? That would be good, wouldn't it? It would be fun. It is possible. It is possible. Through Jesus Christ, His Son. As we've already said. Now, I can't guarantee you, of course not, that He'll show up in your news feed. I I can't guarantee that, right? Can't guarantee that He'll show up on Instagram or Facebook or anywhere, but I can make one guarantee, and this is scriptural. That Jesus does ride on the cloud. All right. I had to try that one out on you. I just see, I see how that one worked, right? Jesus rides on the cloud. All right, we'll get beyond that. All right. That's kind of fun, right? So what does it really mean? What does it really mean to be a friend of God? We first learn about this, really, when we study the life of a person known as Abraham. Abraham in the Old Testament, the the father, really, of Israel, the father of us in many cases. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7 says this, Our God did not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, or did you not drive out? Abraham, your friend? Isaiah 41.8 was read for you earlier this morning. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Here we see that God was not only interested in establishing a friendship with Abraham, but Abraham was actually able to be God's friend. And I think that ought to provide us with a little bit of comfort this morning. But we need to think about how did Abraham gain that status as friend. And we learn a little bit about that from a New Testament author by the name of James. He says this in James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. This might be the... The, the one thing I want you to take away from this message this morning. So tune in for one second here, all right? It was through Abraham's belief. But not just an easy believism, right? It's, it's not just I believe and therefore I am. It's, it's a belief that goes deeper. It's rooted in trust. It's rooted 
in the fact that Abraham did what God asked him to do. He believed God, but it resulted in action. It's easy to say, I believe in something. It's a lot harder to act on my belief because that's the test of your belief. Do I really believe? Will I act on that belief? Or am I content to just be believing? Belief rooted in action, trust. The move of God on his life followed by obedience. Jesus, of course, modeled this for us, didn't he? He declared that his sole purpose was to do his father's will. He obeyed his father's commands, he tells his disciples, a few verses earlier in John chapter 15. And then he tells them that they should obey his in order to remain in him. But it wasn't just a bunch of commands of do's and don'ts. Jesus summed up his command as this. Love each other as I have loved you. That was his command. By embracing all of those that surrounded him, those he liked and those he wasn't culturally conditioned or supposed to like, to those who lived by the book and those who rebelled against the book, By offering prayer for them, healing, wholeness. By being connected in conversation and in self-sacrifice. Jesus demonstrated his love for us. This was on display seemingly everywhere he went. It brought to my mind those tender words of affection as he's entering into Jerusalem for the final time and he's looking over the city as he's descending down into it. He's looking over the city and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather your children around me as a hen gathers its chicks under her wings. Do you sense the tender love and affection that Jesus has for his people? Love as I have loved you. How are we doing with that today? How are you doing with that today? Loving others not because they are related to us, or because they are good to us, or because they have money, or because they are famous and well-known, Not even because they like us on Facebook or Instagram. But true love. True love for others. Who are hard to love. Because of the way they live. The choices they make. Or the stories in their background. Jesus says, you know me. And because you see me, you know me, and you know the Father because of that. He showed us himself, revealed his purpose, that is God, through his son Jesus. It gave us the why to go with the what so that we could embrace the who. And in doing all of this, he invited us 
to be his friends. David had this kind of relationship, the King David of the Old Testament, which caused him to pen these words in Psalm 25, 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Those words, I think, echo in the background as Jesus is declaring in the verses that we've already read today, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. As his friends, we know his love. As his friends, we know his will. As his friends, we lovingly follow him, serving him, keeping his commandments, because we know that they are good and will lead to a more satisfying and peace-filled and truly joyful life. That's what he invites us to. And that's what he invites us to share with others. You are my friends, he says, if you do what I command. Maybe for some of you that's a little hard. You might hear that as, you do for me and I'll do for you. It's kind of that quid pro quo we say in in business, right? But Jesus wasn't waiting for you to be perfect, to be his friend. He laid down his life for you. He's inviting you to a friendship he already paid the price for. He simply invites you to be engaged with him, to live with him, to serve him, to become his disciple, and ultimately to be his friend. I think that's a beautiful reminder for us today. As we ponder the idea on this Memorial Day weekend that no one has greater love than one who lays down his life for a friend. Jesus laid down his life for you, demonstrating his sacrificial love and his commitment to being your friend. And to that I say, there is no one on earth who will be a better friend to you than Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We're going to take a few minutes and give you a chance to reflect and to ponder that. I invite Andrew to come back up and he'll play.